Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast, Season 2, Episode 43. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to have Dick Foth with us back for a session of Back Channel with Foth, and then we'll jump into our interview with Dr. Candace Lewis, who is the Dean at Gammon University. She's a church planner and um, just had a great time with her. Dick, so excited to have you back on the podcast with us today. Always a joy, Aaron. And uh, I I always learn some things from you when I'm on the podcast. So. <laughs> Good deal. We appreciate you, Dick. Uh, got two questions for you today. The first question was sent in, um, says, I'm leading and those I serve keep sharing something to the effect that I do not want to get my hopes up after so many disappointments. How can I serve them and be a hopeful leader? Well, when the when the word disappointment is used, it suggests to me, or it connects me to the word of expectations. Yeah. You know, um, I have friends who say, you know, I've learned never to be disappointed because I don't create any expectations. Well, <laughs> that, that, that can work, but it doesn't lead to a very fruitful life. So my question is, um, what were those expectations? Mm. You know, studies over the years have been done on marriages, for example. Yeah. And the single greatest challenge oftentimes is we walk into it with expectations that aren't realistic. Yeah. You know, if I married this dude, my life's going to be great. If I (laughs) marry this beautiful girl, you know, that's, that's when all the testing and temptation goes away. Well, it doesn't work like that. So, um, my question would be, what were the original expectations? Hmm. What were they based on? Yeah. You know, Jesus had this problem straight out of the shoots. Yeah. He comes, they're looking for a king like they had a thousand years ago in David, and they turn around and there's no pomp and ceremony, there are no marching bands. It's yeah. this thirty year old guy from a little podunk town. And so you know, from from the get go in the Bible story, yeah, expectations were not realized, at least initially. Yeah. Talking about his sort of distant relative, John, he says, what, what did you go out there expecting to see? Yeah. yeah. And so uh, I good. think that, that the expectation piece is, um, is really um, at the heart of where disappointment lies. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Dick, the second question, kind of similar along those lines, it was sent in um, the same person, but they said, do you have some words of encouragement for missionaries that are listening in? Um, they said, maybe it's just me, but I need to hear some positive things that are going on in the church world today. Yeah. Let, let me uh, to just put one PS on the previous question is yeah. that it is that I have a friend by the name of Bob Goff, who's a writer mm-hmm. who on nine 11, his kids were small and they sat them down and told them what had happened. Yeah. And they said, what can we do to help this? And it's it's a leadership issue, probably. And one of the little kids said, well, why don't we have him over for a sleepover? And hmm. he's the leader of the world. You know, why don't hmm. we do that? Yeah. And the second, the nine-year-old said, I want to ask them a question. Where do you place your hope? Hmm. And I think the response to the disappointment question, it, yeah. it, it not just lower one's expectations, but where do I place my hope? That's so great. let me come back to this other one. Um and the question is, do you have words of encouragement for missionaries? Maybe it's just me, but I need to hear some positive things that are going on in the church world today. Yeah. Well, uh, 
in times of great cultural and societal upheaval, uh, the good news really is at its best. Hmm. And from my perspective, or, or as C.S. Lewis would say it in Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan is on the move. And I think the question is, really, I don't see that. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I, I have the privilege of being old enough to be around in the 60s and early 70s mm-hmm. when we thought the end of the world had arrived. Yeah. And I'm a church planter at the University of Illinois, and there are 5,000 National Guard troops with bayonet fixed on the uh, on the quad at the University of Illinois. Mm-hmm. The state troopers and local police arrested 2,000 students in one night. And so we had curfews in town, and many of the folks listening have been in places where there are curfews and where there are military presence and all of that. But I think think, uh, what we need to understand about the the church and the kingdom is this. And I I think I first really heard it put this way from Richard Halverson, who was chaplain of the United States Senate back in the 90s when I first Mm -hmm. went to D.C., I said, talk to me about the church, because the question here is about what's going on in the church. And he, we're sitting in the Senate dining room. Henry Kissinger's over in the corner for pizza. And, and he picks up, Dick Halverson picks up a salt shaker, one of those clear glass salt shakers, and drops it on his chicken. Hmm. And he says, this is the problem with the church, is that too often, and he was Mr. Presbyterian, said, uh, too often it's mostly about the shaker. We're hmm. looking at the shaker. And he said... It's only when the salt gets out of the shaker that it's doing its work. And when it's doing its work, it's mostly invisible. Wow. wow. So when we say, what's going on in the church? I say, you know, I'm not sure, but I think, I think it is because it's yeah. mostly invisible. It's yeah. like planting yeah. corn. And um, so I, I, I think the opportunity for the church, for the kingdom in days like this, for conversations that could not otherwise be held because there's not enough outside pressure is enormous. Hmm. And then, so anyway, I think that's my, that's my uh, essential thought. I tie it to scripture <clears throat> in Hebrews 11 saying faith, trust operates mostly in the unseen. We can't, we don't have metrics for faith that's and we don't, we can't lay the scientific method over the kingdom. I, I do it all the time. I'm doing nickels and noses. How many, how many people in the seats and how much was he offering? All that kind of stuff. But that's not the, that's not the essence. So I would just say uh, we have to trust God that a lot of stuff's going on. And to the degree that we can be a part, that's really, that's frosting on the cake. Awesome. Awesome. Dick, always enjoy spending time with you and get to learn from you. Thank you once again for being with us. We're going to go ahead and jump into our interview with Dr. Candace Lewis, where we talk about leadership intelligence and her lessons over the many years um, learning. And uh, now is the first uh, female president of Gannon and um, in that leadership position and learn so much from her. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to have a new friend with us today, Dr. Candace Lewis, and uh, so much looking forward to learning from her today. Dr. Lewis, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Aaron. Glad to be here today. Thanks for having me. Dr. Lewis, could you just take a a few minutes to introduce yourself and share with the audience um, just a little bit about who you are and uh, where you're currently serving at? 
Sure. So I am Candace Lewis. I am an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church. And I was called to ministry um, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth <laughs> over 25 years ago. Uh, graduated from the University of Florida, go Gators. My first pastoral appointment wow. was to start a new church. So I'm a church planter. I graduated from Gaiman Theological Seminary 25 years ago. And again, my first appointment was in Jacksonville, Florida to start a new church. I often tell people that uh, when I moved to Jacksonville, I only knew two people and neither one of them decided to join the church. So when I tell you we started a church from scratch, <laughs> we really did. And that was before boot camps and yeah. you know consultations and all the resources we have. So it was really a, a journey of learning. And so I tell people too, to then have the opportunity to coach church planters was really redemptive work for me. Sure. I was able to give to people what I didn't have at the time, but I learned a lot. It was like the scripture talks about how sometimes God will, it could have been a direct route, but God will take you the long way you know, <laughs> so you can learn a lot. So I really learned a lot going the long way. Yeah. And I served in that church plan for 12 years. That church is still going on. So that church is over 25 years old wow. now, which is exciting. Yes, it and is. So I went from there to work for the denomination in the work of church planting. I became the executive director of our church planting uh, network, which is called Path One. Mm -hmm. And I served there for uh, four years. And then I went from there to back to the Florida Conference to serve in a leadership role called a district superintendent, where I superintended uh, 89 churches and pastors across wow. four counties, about 22,000 people wow. in those 89 churches. And so that was a real stretch. Uh, now I was invited to serve as the president dean of the seminary that I graduated from. So I now That's serve exciting. as the new president dean of Gaiman Theological Seminary. I'm the first female to serve in this role in the school's 138-year history. Wow. Wow. So that's that, where I that am is that is exciting. Very, very exciting. And I'm, I'm so much uh, looking forward to learning from you today. And we're going to just have a conversation and learn from your leadership experience and uh, the lessons the lessons you've learned along the way. So just to jump in, a first question, uh, what's a learning experience you've had when it comes to providing clarity and casting vision and mobilizing a team? So for me, clarity, when I think about the word clarity, I think clarity is kind of made up of several different words. Number one, uh, coherent, hmm. intelligible. Uh, clarity also to me has to include a sense of transparency as well as a sense of honesty. Wow. So when I think about um, how clarity impacts the ability to cast vision and to mobilize a team, I remember when I was the executive director of Path when New Church Starts and I just assumed that role, it was a relatively new team. So the team was not more than like four years old. And our task was to resource church planting across the whole denomination. And, and for, the past, for the past four years, the denomination had been, quote unquote, counting the number of churches that had been planted. But in all honesty, we didn't know a lot about the churches that were, had been planted. Hmm. And so I prayed about it as I was assuming the role of, of executive director. And when I was like, okay, Holy Spirit, I don't really know the churches that we have planted. And the Spirit was like, it's okay. Just admit that you don't know them, but go and go and get to know them. So we created a vision and we did a summer road trip. So we created hmm. signs and lots of fun publicity. And we so we cast this vision that says, okay, we we know that we planted 800 churches over the last four years, but we don't we want to get to know these churches. So we uh, had this whole big campaign called the Summer Road Trip. Hmm. And so myself and the staff, and we recruited all kinds of volunteers and 
uh, collaborated with people who were already in the, you know, let's say in an annual conference doing the work of church planting. And we went out and visited uh, almost uh, 600 to 800 churches over about a wow. four to five month period, not just me, but my whole staff. We divided it up regionally. Yeah. We had pictures and conversations and interviews. So clarity says it's okay to say, I, I'm not sure what I'm going to be doing. Hmm. Uh, and being honest about that and casting a vision that says, but I can do something about that. And so it was easy to, to kind of build a team around that kind of honest statement that says, hey, we want to get to know the churches that we planted, but we don't know them. What can we do about it? So the summer road trip was a way to uh, to move out with some sense of clarity yeah. about what we wanted to accomplish, even though we just had to admit we didn't have clarity on the front end of it. Wow. Wow. And that takes courage. That takes a lot it of courage does. to admit it. Courage would be another word I would add to that. Yeah, too. Yep. yeah for sure. And um, what was, what was, uh, I don't know if you could share or not, what are a lesson or two you learned from, you visited all those churches with the team. That's a, that's a lot. That's <laughs> a significant was. investment of, of time and resources to do that. Were there certain things that you gleaned from that that were, that were valuable? There actually uh, were, Aaron, we learned a whole lot. Number one, we learned that church planting is very contextual, like God, and that God is hmm. doing great things in a lot of different contexts, and it doesn't all look the same, but it was great to see the ministries that were fruitful. Yeah. Because the scripture says you'll judge a tree by the fruit that it bears, and so we were able to see fruit that we were able to see churches that were definitely bearing fruit, but it looked different in every context. And so let's say in the southeastern uh, region or jurisdiction, uh, everything grows large. Texas, yeah. everything grows large, right? But when we were in Wyoming, you know, 25 people there was large. That was a yeah. lot versus in Texas, it would have to be a thousand to be considered large. Right. And so we learned from there that you, uh, fruitfulness should be measured very contextually and not mm. uh, not just this one kind of blanket benchmark that everybody has to kind of reach. Because then that would make people who are fruitful in a really tough mission field feel like they're not as you know, they're not accomplishing as much as somebody yeah. else in a different mission field where it's just 10,000 more people that are right. there. So you just have an opportunity <laughs> to just have different numbers. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, make perfect sense. Makes perfect yeah, sense. Yes, so I learned a whole lot about context uh, and how context really does matter yeah. in mission and ministry. Yeah. And I, I would imagine that helps you as a leader to be able to care for those people and for them to feel cared for in the process when you have an mm -hmm. understanding of their context. Absolutely. And and I'm sure the missionaries that you serve too, context really does matter. And so once, once they begin to kind of help you understand, hey, this is the context that we're serving in, then I think uh, effective leadership is able to quote unquote customize the resources to that particular context. Yeah. One size doesn't fit all. And so we just have to, and again, but if as a leader, if you only have a hammer, everything will look like a nail. <laughs> but I think resourceful leaders have to have a pretty wide toolbox so you can really customize the tools to meet the needs of the community. For sure. For sure. And so when it comes to communicating a vision, casting vision, leading a team, what modes of communication do you prefer to use? And what does it, does that depend on context too um, in the situation? But just, I know leaders and uh, you're a high level leader and that communication, sometimes we have grand ideas, but communicating that is, is vitally important. I just wanted to learn, um, learn from you about communication today. And so I, I thought that was a great question. And so when I thought about it, I thought, you know, communication, a lot of it depends on the size of the audience. You, number one, you have to know your audience and you have mm. to know who you are communicating to because every audience receives messages differently. And so once you begin to care more, so you have to care about your audience as much as you care about the message. Wow. 
Oh, that's good. And so you that's have to good. then work on on how does how will this message translate best in that audience? And so some of the best, most effective vision casting I've done has been in one-on-one conversations, hmm. but it, it can't just stay in the one-on-one conversation because, because even if it's a small team, you have to be able to move it from the one-on-one conversation. But I think people, people, what I've learned over the years is that people appreciated me talking to them one-on-one first. Yeah. Like they, if it was going to be a change in the direction that we were going into, it was going to be a major staff change. If it was going to be this whole new initiative. I mean, people who you talk to every single day, they're like dumbfounded, like, seriously, you could have told me that beforehand. Right. <laughs> and so I yeah. just learned, you know, to care enough about the people and respect them enough to say, one, you know, take them aside. One, I want to say, hey, this is this new initiative is coming out. We're going to be rolling out some new things. Hey, this is what I've been thinking about. This is what I've been praying about. And so giving them a chance to hear it one-on-one and then also get, giving them a chance to give some feedback yeah, to speak into it, uh, to help fine tune it. So I found in vision casting, one-on-one communication is highly effective and then moving it to a larger group communication, following it up with written communication. And then I think the other big thing I've learned is to continue to repeat the communication yeah. over and over and over. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. So if you have a vision, you have to really television so you have to literally yeah. tell people over and over and over you know about this new vision and direction yeah. that we're going into so that way it just takes time for it to take root for sure you talked about in the beginning the lead up that question you said the the audience that matters is much or more than, than the message um what questions kind of go through your head as you're trying to understand the audience and uh the people that you're communicating a message to <laughs> It's who are the people, you know, hmm. who, who, who are these people? But you, in addition to, to understanding who I am, who they are, I have to make sure that I, number one, understand that they are um, people that are valuable to God. And because wow. they're valuable to God, they have to be valuable to me. Yeah, it's good. And so there has to be this stewardship of the people that if I'm a leader, and that's one of the things that I'm just really kind of grasping in this season of leadership is that I, the biggest uh, perspective that guides me right now in this season of leadership is stewardship. Hmm. Is that number one, everything belongs to God. Number two, God entrusts leadership to me. God entrusts people to my care. I own no people. I don't call people my people. They're not my people. They're God's people. And if they're God's people, so then that, so when you, when you, when it's framed that way, uh, taking in, it's easy to take into consideration the audience when you know the audience are valuable to God. So they must be valuable to me. These are people that God loves. So I should love them too. These are people that God cares about. So I should care about them too. So it just makes you prepare a bit differently in the communication versus, and I do think that in leadership and especially in Christian leadership, I see us moving away from a very personality centered leadership Mm -hmm. where all of the emphasis is placed on the leader uh, but we've seen abuse in that context. We've seen yeah. harmful communication in that context. We've seen people hurt. Um, but I, as if we take a bit more of a other-centered leadership, and other-centered doesn't mean that the person is forgotten. So it's not one or the other, it's both. It's being able to hold them both in yeah. attention. So if I'm going to consider the audience and I consider um, them more and I begin to shape and and, and frame a message that, they can receive, they can see themselves in, and then we can do it together. That kind That's of awesome. Thing. That's awesome. And uh, challenging that we, we don't own anybody. They're, 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 they belong to God. They don't belong, they to, belong us. to God. And we have to care about them. And God's going to hold us accountable based on how we treated them. Yeah, man, that's, that's, that's a, that's, that's worth it there. 
So when you, when you, when we talk about looking at the other generations and mentoring, um, what are some things that you're a high level leader, you shared, you're the first female leader um, at, at the university where you're serving. Are you doing some intentional things to mentor other leaders? And, and can we learn from you about that today? I am. Um, as I thought about it, I, um, I think in this season of leadership, and I think because of the, how quickly things change, I think it, it's wise to come to leadership also giving space for what's called reverse mentoring hmm. and coming into a coaching situation or coming into a consultation situation or coming into a mentoring situation and not just asking, what do I have to depart to them, but asking, what can I learn from them? Hmm. So creating that kind of mutuality in a mm -hmm. mentoring relationship creates high value for both of them. I respect this person that's, that's asking me to mentor them and they also respect me. They add value and I add value too. Yeah. And so I don't think we're in a season of, and you can use the whole technology um, as an example. I mean, the technology has changed so quickly. So you have younger leaders that are digital natives, but you have older leaders that feel like digital immigrants. And so <laughs> I have this one scenario, my sister was teaching me I, something simple, simple on the computer around like cutting and pasting. And I would just always, you know, I'm kind of clunking around the document, trying to find the cut. She was like, it's just control V or control C. And, but, and again, even though I'm older, I have to position myself to be able to learn from a younger yeah. person. It's good. And that just creates mutuality. And so for, for her to hear me learn from her and be able to implement some of the things that she's taught me, then in some ways, I think that keeps younger leaders open to hear from us, right? Yeah. If they experience us as closed, then we miss because it because I can have all the knowledge and wisdom, but if I have nobody to share it with, then what difference did it make for me to have all that knowledge That's and good. wisdom, right? Yeah. So I do think that lead, older leaders have to work much harder to earn the right to share with people because I mean, Aaron, you can ask Siri anything. So you want to <laughs> know who's doing the most mentoring in this season? Siri is Google is doing Google and YouTube. These are great mentors, right? And so I have to, I'm, that's, and that's what I'm competing with. I'm not competing with some older leader. I'm competing with a YouTube video that can share the information <laughs> faster than I can share it with more clarity, with more, and in a lot more concise way. So, but, but I sell that to say, but there are students that come to me and want to know what I think about things. And there mm -hmm. are students that come to me and want to hear what I have to say, but I just posture myself as a leader that listens actively that uh, tries to understand their context. And so you can't just, again, can't just have this one size fits all. You, yeah. I, you, you literally have to sit there and listen to them long enough to understand like where they really are in life and ministry. What is it that they need? I always pray and ask the spirit of counsel. Holy Spirit hmm. is a counselor, wonderful counselor. Hmm. I always ask the spirit of counsel to come into this time. And I also recognize too, if they leave my office or leave this conversation with at least one thing, Hmm. So it's, it's long gone are the days that they'll get 20 different things from me. Yeah. They may not, but if they walk away with one good thing and if they're willing to come back and I always try to keep conversations open-ended that says, Hey, wow. you know, feel free to come back and have a, another conversation. So that way I don't feel the pressure to try to almost like brain dump, right? Just hmm. give it to them all at one time. Right. But we got to learn how to give it to them in sound bites. But I think now mentoring has a longer uh, a longer tenure potentially. And I think mentoring that matters. Now there are some one-off people that you'll just, you know, you may never meet them again in life. And I've had those yeah. kind of encounters where I remember this one time, this pastor Gary, 
prayed for me and he just prayed the scripture over my life. And if I, I think I probably only seen him a couple of other times in 25 years, right? But that was a one-time moment and God really used that moment. So I think there are some mentoring moments, but I think there are mentoring relationships. And so I'm willing in this season to invest more in the relationships. I have those moments still, but I really do try to take time to figure out who God is entrusting and asking me to really mentor over a longer period of time. And yeah. I think that's helpful. And I still have a mentor myself. So I still have people that been on the journey with me for almost 20 years now. Yeah. And so when then man, that's a great lead into the next question. So you said you have mentors that have been mentoring. How have they poured into your life, those mentors? And what how has that relationship continued over a long, a long, a long amount of time? It really has. So one is my pastor. Uh, and this pastor was a pastor that I met literally 25 years ago when I was in seminary. Wow. And uh, that pastor, we were just having a conversation this past Saturday. So we have, we talk uh, at least once, probably once a month now. We text on a regular basis, talk once a month. Uh, that pastor, uh, what makes that pastor a valuable mentor 25 years later? Number one, they continue to resource themselves. Hmm. They continue to... Um, the best way I can describe it, they're still bigger than me. Does hmm. that make sense? I mean, I mean, bigger in the kingdom, just have more authority, more knowledge, more wisdom, and they're still willing to share. Hmm. And I have, I have several people that I've journeyed with over 25 years. Some people I have outgrown, and I don't say that, I say that with all humility. It's right. just the experiences that I've had have just outpaced their experience. So they've, everybody who grows in age does not grow in wisdom our expansiveness, our experiences, True. right? True. So some people are still repeating the same experience just 20 years later. Hmm. So that person is not a, uh, I don't consider that person a, a person that fits that category. I don't consider them a mentor, but some of the key people who still mentor me 25 years later, they, they're continue to read, they're readers, they're learners. Uh, they're learning the new technology, but they still have like just this core and they're continuing to nurture their relationship with God. And yeah. and I mean, every time I come into their presence, it's just, I get something that's life giving. Yeah. And, I'm, and I want to be that same kind of person for other people. So I have to continue to read and continue to stay sharp and continue to, you know, to stay engaged. So that way, um, you know, you can still be valuable to somebody else. Similar to like uh, the scripture, Samuel, right? Uh, Eli was smart enough to, to say to Samuel, uh, you know, if you, you're hearing God call to say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. But the scripture called Eli a blind prophet. Hmm. And I think leaders have to watch out to make sure we don't become like just that fat blind prophet where you still hmm. have this position of leadership, but you're not as available to people and you don't have more to give them than just, hey, if you hear wow. God calling you, say, yes, God. That was great that he gave him that direction, but I think Eli represents a type of of senior leadership that hmm. we want to guard against. Hmm. Wow, that's that's something <laughs> there. That's something that uh, yeah, great perspective and yeah. uh, and challenging and uh, challenging challenging. In but if you look ways. deeper at that scripture text, it was because Eli didn't hold his own sons accountable, right? His sons hmm. became like just uh, harmful in the temple, yeah. right? And so. Yeah. How can God still entrust us with leadership of somebody else when you won't even rule your own house or your own family well? Wow. And so wow. the scripture described Eli as a blind prophet. But again, but God still entrusted Samuel to him just for a short season, though, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's a good word. Good word. Yeah. Challenging, challenging <laughs> word. Challenging word. 
Next, I wanted to just ask you a little bit about collaboration. Um, obviously, being a church planner, um, you talked about the different ministry um, positions and now leading um, Yeah, this new position of leadership. What, what are some lessons you've learned in your understanding when it comes to collaboration? I like one of the, the way my pastor uh, always talks about collaboration. He always asks the question, who will do this with me? Hmm. And so in, in, in any endeavor that you're going to begin under, you're going to uh, take on, he thinks that's a wise question to ask. Who will do this with me? So that's a reminder to leaders that I should not be doing this by myself. Yeah. I mean, there may be a role that I have versus the role that somebody else has. But again, I think every idea gets better when you collaborate. And the longer I've been in leadership, the more collaborative I have become, <laughs> which I think is, is good because I look back on some of my youthful when I was young I just think I was a bit more prideful and a lot more arrogant hmm. and I just thought I knew so much now 25 years later I recognize <laughs> that everybody knows in part and prophesies in part so all I have is the part that I have yeah. right yeah, and I can, I can bring the part that I have with confidence with clarity but all I have is a part friend I mean hmm. so and I think the other thing you have to do to so number one if leaders coming into that you need to be a, you have to be able to collaborate but to be able to collaborate, you have to be, have good relationships with people hmm. and the way. And so so to be a good collaborator, because any new project I start today, I, I find five people I can ask to be a part of the team. And I just launched we just launched this research project at the seminary. But I was able to reach out to five leaders across that lead in other agencies and organizations. Uh, but it was only because I've just nurtured good relationships with relationships with people over time. And so. You have to to collect to be a good collaborator. You just have to have very strong relational skills, again, and you have to be willing to partner with other people on their projects. Just like for you, you asked me, like I literally had never heard of Aaron, but you just I was like, wow, this guy's really courageous, and he's very persistent. Like he is gonna get me to be on this podcast, right? And yeah. so finally, but man, the day finally came, Aaron, I'm prepared. I was looking forward to this conversation with you, right? Yeah, because awesome. who knows what God's going to do? Who knows what you and I can do together? So I Amen. stayed open, right? Yeah. And so I just I just thought, okay, what else can I do to foster this relationship? So I did all my research. I Googled. Yeah. So yeah. I knew that you had two kids. Yeah, you know I'm saying so, so. So to me, that's the spirit of collaboration. So to me, yeah. uh, effective leaders today have to, and it's a global world. Yeah. Right. Who knows when I'll come to Nairobi? But if I come, I would Google you. I'd be like, hey, Aaron, right. I'm on my way to Nairobi. That's right. And let me, you know, because, again, you have resources that I don't have. We're, we're, we're serving the same God. We're on the same Amen. team. Amen. We're just in ministry context very differently. And so yeah. to me, uh, collaboration is important. Yes, leaders must collaborate, but you also have to build relationships that will give you that will create stronger collaborative opportunities for us. Yeah, some great. people who, who are who are very solo workers and work very individually they don't collaborate well because they just don't have the relational capital with people to leverage yeah. to create a collaboration for sure for sure and dr lewis how, how do you decide who to trust because collaboration there has to be trust you know i mean there has to be some trust how do you begin to learn to, or how do you decide who you can trust and who you can't trust and yeah with all the opportunities that are out there yeah you're going to get burned and so you kind of got to go into it you know knowing that everybody uh, you got to trust God, trust God, love people. So the hell you have hmm. to trust, you got to trust God. Hmm. And God will even let us walk into some, some situations that, you know, didn't work out well. You know, you got burned, your feelings got hurt. You know, you, it didn't, 
you know, it didn't go as well as you thought, but that's not a reason enough to never collaborate again. No, that's because yeah. that's human, right? So, yeah. so, so it's, I mean, I can remember some of those early people that I trusted and they were very self-centered and they, you know, weren't very mindful and they were trying to take advantage of me, but God is, God's going to ultimately protect us. And so we yeah. have to really trust God and use your discernment. So yeah. if you get like these strong sense that this is somebody I should not trust or should not work with, then just be okay with saying no. So, I, so, so collaborators have to be able to say no, hmm. outright no at sometimes. Sometimes you have to say not at this time. Yeah. And then sometimes you, you'll, you'll, you'll get a clear yes. So if you, if you get a clear yes, then go with it. If you get some hesitation, maybe say not at this time. Yeah. If you get like a strong red flag, just say no. Yeah. And it's okay because you're not the only person that, you know, God will send other people. So I've just yeah. kind of learned that over the years. And so if I say no, I just, I say no. And, and I don't, you know, I try not to keep going back over it and regretting what I've, you know, made that bad, just made a decision or whatever, yeah. but it, you're going to get burned and we're going to, but, but the more you work with people, the more you learn people, right? So everybody mm -hmm. has to kind of learn people and learn your context and learn, you know, who you can trust and who you can't trust. And then everybody doesn't get the same degree of trust, right? So, mm. per, you, so you're not going to trust, you know, people with something that's very valuable to you, but you may work with them on something different, mm -hmm. right? And so, so you have to be able to know what degree of trust to give to a particular context. And trust is something that can be earned. It's hard to earn and easy to lose, boy. Oof. <laughs> is that the truth? Is yeah. that the truth? And um, yeah, that is, that is the truth. In this in this new season, um, you you've, you've moved and you're starting uh, in this new leadership position. What's something as you look to the for the future, Doctor Lewis, that you're excited about? Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited about. Uh, so in my new role, I serve as a president team. So I've, I've, I've moved to a whole new industry, still ministry, uh, but I'm working now as a seminary president. And so as a seminary president one of my primary audiences now are working with students who are hearing a call from God and answering a call from God. Hmm. And I am so inspired by the fact that I get to sit with students that in light of everything that's happened in 2020 from March, 2020, when COVID yeah. became this global pandemic, we're still navigating it in the United States. We're still navigating racial unrest and, and this racial reckoning that's happening. So, and then on top of that, you got climate issues. And so they're just global <clears throat> issues that are happening. You have what's happening in Afghanistan. You have all the issues that are happening on the continent of Africa yeah. in the specific countries that you are serving in and where your missionaries are serving. And so I am most inspired by, even though there's so much going on in the world today, the number one, that God is still calling people to serve hmm. and that people are still answering that call. Wow. So I'm honored to be on on the journey with people, it's inspiring to me because I think for people who've been in ministry a long time, you could become very cynical. Like Carrie Newhoff wrote this book called, uh, gosh, what's the name of that book? But it's about dealing with kind of didn't see it coming. Didn't yeah. see it coming. Yeah. It. <laughs> Excuse me. Read the book yeah. and, you know, have, I, I gave it away to other leaders. Uh, but just, I just think he did such a great job kind of naming the cynicism that can exist, you know, in leaders sure. and how do we deal with it? How do we keep our hearts? you know, open, you know, and, but either way, I'm most inspired by the fact that there are students that are in their various ages, various races, various demographics that they come from, and they're still willing to, uh, like uh, scripture says, they'll leave everything and follow, take up their cross and follow Jesus. And I'm like, whoa, that's, that's <laughs> inspiring to me. I'm that's sure inspiring to me. And I'm sure you're inspiring to them. 
I mean, let's let's be honest. I mean, you you said you're the first female leader of the school in the hundred and some plus years. What challenges coming come with that from being the first female leader in, in this role? That's a uh, great question. I think um, being the first female leader, you come into a context where a patriarchal system is the norm, a mm. bit of the norm. Um, and, and it's normative in a way that people don't question it, right? They make, us, okay. they make assumptions and they're just things that aren't questioned. And so I come in with a fresh eyes, fresh perspective, fresh insights. Uh, as a leader who's also a woman, I expect to be respected in a certain way. And for sure. And, uh, and it's just that the systems are changing now. And so yeah. we have to be aware of the changing system. So there's the, even people that are on the, that serve in different leaderships within the school, there's just an older mindset. And I come with a newer mindset, similar to like, you know, Moses versus a Joshua, that kind yeah. of mindset. So I just think, and I, and God is, is just, uh, the scripture says, you know, don't remember the former things or consider things of old, behold, God is doing a new thing now, it's springing forth, shall we not perceive yeah. it? So it's helpful to perceive all that's happening and all that God's doing in the world today and God's all that God's doing in every context. Because, I mean, theological education as a whole is having a really tough time. Uh, it just, it costs a lot to go to seminary. People graduate and have minimum salary appointments in our context and in other contexts too. And so it's tough. And then, yeah. again, people can learn in so many different ways now, yeah. online learning. There's so much education that people used to have to pay for that's free now on the Internet. Yeah. And so, and again, and people can, we've seen so many people that are very, very effective in ministry without even going to seminary. They go a different route other than seminary. So it's just a pretty competitive environment right now. Yeah. And so it just behooves us to be really lean in our yeah. Uh, in a, lean as an organization. So again, as a first leader, who's also female coming in, um, it's the biggest challenge I have is, is with, not with me personally, I don't take it personally. It's just an right. older paradigm. It's a yeah. paradigm that's shifting and people are very slow to adapt to the shifting paradigm that's, that's happening in front of us. And the reality is you're a pioneer. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, you're a pioneer and, uh, and my dad always said, you know, being a pioneer, it's it, it, it's tough. It's tough going and um, it takes a lot of courage. And um, yeah, I'm just um, it's inspiring to see and to see as as you you do pioneer um, in this in this season. And um, as you said, in the challenging context that we live in in 2021, you know, I, I would think being a pioneer in any other time might have been challenging. But in the context that we're currently in and being a pioneer at the same time is is a lot Um um, is there is there a question, Dr. Lewis, that you think, man, I wish Aaron would have asked me or it would have been a good question or something that we didn't cover today that you thought would be valuable for the audience? Uh, I think I would just uh, go back to this idea about um, stewardship yeah. and having, I think I want to see stewardship become a higher value in our leadership frameworks, right? I've been in leadership ministry for 20 plus years now. I've gone to so many different leadership contexts, our conferences and seen leadership in so many contexts. And, and I just remember a season of putting so much focus on the pastor as a as a person, but not really a person, more the personality, right? Mm. And but we're seeing now, 20 years later, a lot of the people who are like leading well, or what seemed to be leading well at that particular time, their character didn't withstand the test of time. Yeah. 
Uh, and, and so um, to see so many leaders start well, but not finish well. Yeah. And so now I'm, I'm kind of probably midway of the leadership journey too far in. So I can't go back to shore, but I'm so far in, I don't see the distance. I don't see the end goal yeah. just yet. Yeah. So then when you take it day by day, then I just have to now really focus on being self-aware, being other aware and making sure like the, there's an old saying that says, don't let your gifts take you where your character can't keep you. Because mm. this is a That's season good. where gifts are is not the focus character has to be the focus <clears throat> and i think character goes along with stewardship if you recognize mm -hmm. that everything belongs to god god has entrusted this to me at the end of the day i'm gonna be accountable to god to give back to god what god has entrusted to me but realizing that what i started with was just myself and my sense of yeah. call and so god is just as god cares about growing my own call and my character hmm. as much as i thought god was only going to focus on me growing the church right i thought hmm. god was only focused on me having these numbers and i thought only showing god like oh god look at all of the numbers but if i did not grow in character in that season then i think god's i think the accountability comes more back to the person than what than what leadership used to teach 20 years ago. Wow. Because you wow. didn't, even though one particular leader wrote this book, who are you when nobody's looking, who that person ended up being when nobody was looking, ended up being, I mean, not wow. well, the person yeah. ended up resigning from their right. leadership role. I listened to this uh, podcast story about the rise and fall of Mars Hill recently. Yeah. And just, I just thought that one was, it was so good to hear that kind of critical, not criticizing, but a, just a critical look at it. So yeah. I think, for leaders 20 years in, we, it behooves us to do a critical look at what we have taught over the last 20 years, to be critical of what we have taught and ask ourselves, did we set our pastors up for success or did we only ask them to grow things numerically and never focused on helping them grow in their character? Because wow. for the long haul of leadership, character is what's going to go the long way. But to me, character and stewardship are are like partners together. And so that's, yeah. that's one of my messages now that I want to get out. That's just like, hey, Everything belongs to God. God has entrusted it to you. You're, we're all going to have to give an account for what we have been asked to steward in this season and just make sure you steward it well. It's a good word. Good word. Dr. Lewis, I am um, so glad that you spent some time with us today. Would you pray for us um, that God will use the wisdom and insight and experience that you've shared with us and then we'll put it into action and um, that we will be people, as, as, as you shared, of great character. And um, we will be wise stewards um, as we follow him. Amen. Thanks. Let's pray. Oh, God, we're grateful for this day. And thank you again for Aaron and the work that you've entrusted to his care. And thank you for uh, how you have grown his, continue to grow his character and his family and, and grow him in wisdom and knowledge and experience. And thank you for his openness and willingness to serve God. You made him faithful over a few things. And so now you entrust him with more responsibilities, continue to help him be a faithful steward. Pray for all those who will listen to this conversation. I pray that you would inspire and challenge and offer guidance and direction and correction. For that person that needs a mentor, God, I pray that you would open up the door for them to connect with somebody that's willing to listen and to give feedback and remind them also, God, that you've still given great gifts to them uh, that are being used in this day for your kingdom. God, for that pastor or leader who has gotten off track, Lord, grateful that we can uh, ask you for forgiveness and we can repent. We can be accountable. We can bring it to the light so that way we can get the help that we need to continue to uh, finish well, God. And if that person is really at the end of their ministry, 
I give them the permission and the grace to know it's okay to stop so that people aren't hurt or harmed uh, because the leader continued on when they weren't healthy enough to lead others or God. And so again, grateful for this Clarity Podcast and for the conversation, the bigger conversations that you're inviting Aaron to lead and share in. Grateful for this time that we've had today. Now for this person.